0: You know, it seems like just a year ago, I was standing here preaching from James. We walked through, for three weeks, we walked through chapter one. So we're going to pick up where we left off. We're in James chapter two, and I wanted to give you a little bit of, of reminder, um, less, of, less of an introduction than we gave last year, but just a little bit. So who is James? James is a half-brother of Jesus Christ, and we actually meet him in the Gospel of John as one of his brothers who doesn't believe in him, who says, why don't you go to the festival, Jesus, and why don't you go do some miracles, then people will believe in you. And the Bible says in that point, for his brothers did not believe in him. Something happened in between that account and this letter that is being written. And that something is that James encountered the resurrected Jesus Christ. So James became the pastor at the church at Jerusalem. He even got the nickname James the Just. He's the pastor of this church. And um, we, we learned last year that the, the book from James, the letter from James, it parallels... Uh, Proverbs 1 through 9, it also parallels the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 through 7. We see so much application, and we see so much biblical wisdom, how to live out the Christian life, which is why we've entitled this series, Faith in Action, Following Jesus in Real Life. So when I first heard this letter being preached, I was not a Christian just yet. I had been asked to play at a church downtown, Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church, asked to play in the orchestra. I was a cultural, very legalistic Christian who didn't know anything about the gospel. And I remember the, the book that was being preached over the weeks where the Lord got a hold of my heart, where I learned about being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, the pastor was preaching through James. So it's, it's had a soft spot in my heart for all of these years, over 20 years now. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to share this wisdom uh, from the Word of God with my dear church family today our text in a nutshell is this it's evil to judge people based on appearances god looks at the heart and so should we to the best of our abilities it's easy to dismiss our tendency to play favorites we must be careful to love our neighbors as ourselves Loving others is a primary way we show our love for Jesus Christ. So in John 13, Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another. And by this, all people would know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And this is the heart of what we will read today in our text before we do, I want to lay down why there's a problem that James is going to give us in chapter 2. Some of you may have seen this before. So a church had created the perfect church member that they were looking to reach many, many years ago after polling the, the community that they were planting in. And this guy right here was named Saddleback Sam. And this is, this is the guy. This is the guy we're trying to reach, right? They went so far as to say, we should make a cardboard cutout of Saddleback Sam. We should put him in the lobby. That way, when people come, they will kind of resonate and say, oh, that guy's like me. I need to go here. Do you see a problem with that, however? (laughs) Because if I walk in the lobby and I think to myself, wow, I'm nothing like Saddleback Sam. Maybe I need to go elsewhere. Maybe I'm not welcome here, right? This is exactly what James is getting at in our text today. So let's read our text together. We are in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. I'll read for us. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For for man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself you're doing well but if you show partiality you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it for he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder if you do not commit adultery but you do murder you've become a transgressor of the law So, speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And I've got four points to share with you this morning, and they are these. One is, don't play favorites. Two is, God looks at the heart. Three is, really, He looks at the heart. And four is the takeaway that we'll spend a little bit of time at the end. So here's our first point. And it's don't play favorites. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Do you ever wonder why we have the tendency to play favorites in a group of people? Like, what's going on in a heart that we would want to exalt some over others, right, to, to just pre-decide when we see somebody that this person represents this to me, and this other person represents all of these things? And think about it, how naturally it comes, right? Children sitting on a school bus, right? A kid gets on the bus, says, I'm going to sit here. Oh, sorry, seat's taken. Right, not sitting here. This is being saved for someone else in particular. You're not sitting here, right? Whether it's children saving seat on a bus or maybe you cringing at the thought when you find out some certain person's going to be at a party that you're going to attend. Oh, it's going to be harder than I saw it. Maybe it's deciding that someone is right for a job or wrong for a job before you ever meet this person, right? Maybe you're the interviewer and you've decided, sorry, I saw the profile picture. That's not the guy. That's not the girl. James has just told us what it looks like to serve Jesus, right? So he's, he's not coming into this, this next passage uh, in a vacuum, right? So I ended last year. The third sermon was based on true religion, which is just look back a couple of lines in chapter 1. It ends this way, James chapter 1, 26 through 27. It says, if anyone thinks he is religious, does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So the Bible is always looking at what we think we're doing, right? We we, we think in ourselves, I'm doing well here, right? I think in myself, man, I think I'm following that pretty well. And always we are being reminded again and again to look past the externals and to look at what is going on in the heart of an individual. So here in this passage I just read, you, he says, you know, you think you're being religious, but you're not bridling your heart, you're deceiving yourselves, you're not even helping people that are hurting, you're not even visiting people that are in difficult times in their lives. So, so you're not really following Jesus. And he goes on to say, On the heels of that, so don't show partiality. Right? And now on the heels of this, he jumps in and looks at our hearts. My brothers show no, verse one, partiality, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord of glory. Partiality can go by different names that we may be more familiar with favoritism, prejudice. Biblically speaking, we'll also hear respect of persons. Whatever it is, we have superficially decided when we lay eyes on a person, we pretty much know everything we need to know about that person, right? And we ascribe some kind, of, some kind of goodness to certain types of people, and we ascribe some kind of detriment to other types of people just based on what our eyes see. And I want you to see, um, coming from the, encycl- the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible, this is what it says about respect of persons, It says it's a scriptural expression generally used in a negative sense of partiality or favoritism shown to persons. In the Greek it means to receive the face of someone or to accept his external appearance as the real thing and to make an evaluation on that basis, right? To receive whatever a person is putting forward and to say, that's got to be the person, right? And we'll hear about a little bit more later where it says in Scripture that God, that man looks at the outward appearance, but it's God himself that looks, where? At the heart. That's right. But people can be so superficial, and we can set up so many different ways that we can divide people up. So James is warning us. He's saying, he says that just as we are holding to the faith in Jesus, verse 1, We've got to avoid assigning worth to people on the basis of appearance. Verse one ends by reminding us, as Christians, we are following the Lord of glory. So look at that first verse. My brothers show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's not enough, the Lord of glory in case you've forgotten. So he's saying, we set up this hierarchy of humans, of individuals. There's really only two levels for us to consider. There's Jesus Christ and there's the rest of us, right? The rest of us are broken. The rest of us need salvation in Christ. The rest of us need sanctification. We need to grow and become more like him. So he says, listen, Let's not live this way of partiality among people. We're all in this together trying to follow Jesus Christ. So let's be loving towards one another. So to play favorites in this life is based on a surface level world-impressing things. It's to ignore the only worthy recipient of such admiration, and that is Jesus Christ himself. And so you notice how I told you as we started that James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. You know, pastors love to give illustrations, don't we? And so he does this right here in verse 2 and 3. He gives us an illustration. So he says, don't show partiality. And he says, for example, look at verses 2 and 3. Let me read these to you. It says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here, in a good place, oh sir, can I get you something to drink, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. So first thing I notice here, James is talking about church, right? So we can take the lessons we're going to learn today about how we treat people equally regardless of our perception, we can take it to every area of our lives, but in this illustration, James is talking about church, right? So the word he uses here for assembly is actually the word synagogue, right? It's a place where we gather to worship. And so he's talking about someone walking in those back doors right there. That's what he's talking about. How do we respond? So the picture is this. You've got this very wealthy, successful, outgoing, articulate, attractive. This person comes into your church, and at the same time, maybe this poor. Little. And James is just telling us to a straight. The knee-jerk reaction you're going to have is to treat these two people differently. It's human nature. Human nature is not the way generally, 99.9, with a line over that 9% of the time that we want to run, that we want to live our lives. But yeah, a lot of times our knee-jerk human, human nature is to treat these two people differently, right? And so this one guy comes in, you say, well, maybe this person is not just rich, maybe you recognize them from TV. Maybe it's uh, one of the newly signed Jaguar players. You know, maybe it's someone like that. Maybe it's, you know, someone in the movie that you just saw. Wow, they're coming through town. They're at our, they're at our church. Can you believe that? They're here, right now. we got to make sure. we got to put on our best face today because, I mean, it's important now, right? But we have another person who walks in that maybe you we know, couldn't recognize for any reason or maybe we recognize for a negative reason, right? And we say, well, I mean... Things can go wrong today. I guess it doesn't really matter all that much. It's human nature and it's terrible. And he's saying to us, not only is it not the best, not only is it not the best practice of behavior in this world, he actually says it's sin, it's evil. He says in verse 4, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with what? Evil he says it's evil to treat people this way He says, what are you doing we're acting then he says you're making yourself a judge you've not been appointed a judge you're acting as a judge so what we're really doing if we affirm that the only person in this world that can divide people up by his standard is the lord pridefully we're making ourselves little gods aren't we saying you know i'm going to decide the worth of this person based on what i perceive in my brilliant mind so partiality is not simply a bad thing, it's sin. It's sin against the holy God. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Have you ever been on one side or the other of favoritism? Think about that for a second. And here's what I mean. So first of all, it, it, it hurts to be excluded, doesn't it, right? To be the one that, say, someone else is being, is being treated better than you and you feel excluded. You know, one time when I was a kid, I can remember this. So I was a military kid, and so everywhere I went, it was hard to make friends, you know. So we'd spend a couple of years here, a couple of years there. You know, it seemed like I had the exact same group of friends everywhere I went, you know. But they were all similar type people. But I just remember one day being an awkward third or fourth grader walking into the lunchroom with that molded plastic tray with that spectacular triang- or rectangular shaped gray pizza. You guys remember it, right? And I'm like, all right, I'm going to sit with my friends. And they were all absent today right? Everyone that I would know, I'm comfortable. I can go sit with that group of people. I'll have a fun 24 minutes. It'll be awesome. And I just remember, just think how sad it was, little Dave Champagne just sitting there looking around, right? And I just remember going and finding an empty table sitting there by myself, right? It, it feels terrible, doesn't it, to not be part, right, of, of the preferences of others. It feels terrible. How, how wonderful would it have been for someone to say, hey, Dave, why don't you come sit with us today? would have changed everything, but then I wouldn't have had a sweet story to tell you today, so. <laughs> would have ruined my sermon. Um, on the other hand, it also can hurt a person to be on the positive side of of preferential treatment. Let me tell you what I mean. So, I went on a missions trip to Haiti uh, years ago, and, uh, well, first, I got to share this picture from the missions trip. This isn't the bad part. So... I'm very lucky. Someone got a picture of this, my buddy. So there's my friend under me there. His name is Will. He's a college baseball player. I'm the least athletic person he knows, but there's me just grabbing that ball out the air. It was wonderful, right? And so I send him this picture once in a while. He's an associate pastor in South Carolina now. I send him this picture every once in a while just to remind him of that day, right? But... um, but that day, that was a fun day. So we had spent, I think, eight or nine days serving in a very, you know, difficult environment. And so they told us there was like a resort that you could go to and you could take your translators to. It would be a, a good blessing for them. It would be great, right? So we went. We had this fun day. But then it was time to eat. It was one of the most beautiful, wonderful buffets I would ever seen in my life. Outdoors. It was like a completely different country almost from what we had seen for eight or nine days. And so we get our plates. we're going through the line, and I just remember looking a couple hundred yards away, and so there was this high wall around the place, and the, the neighborhood outside of it was just you know, desolate, just terrible. You know, people using street signs as roofs. I mean, some of you have seen these, these scenes and images before. And there's just a line of people standing at the border of this and just watching us. And and it broke my heart. And so there you are on the positive side of the preferential treatment. But it's not a good place to be, right? If you're the kind of person that shows preferences in groups of people, just know it hurts everybody, right? It doesn't just hurt the one that's not being preferred. Another example, right? So for some strange reason, some grandparents seem to think that it's just okay to favor a a certain grandchild. You know, it's obvious. We know it. We know you're doing it if you do it right and it hurts everyone right they think it's okay to do it and spoiler alert um the ones that are not on that highest tier it it hurts and it's very sad and they realize it's happening but for the favorite it's also heartbreaking because they love their brothers and sisters you know so it's not as if you know coming home with the bigger lollipop is going to make them happy right or what about in school if there's a teacher's favorite how does that generally work out for the (laughs) kids It's generally not something that the student wants, right? Because when the teacher leaves the room, it's not something that they think, oh, I'm the teacher's pet, right? It's not a good thing. So I think we have established the fact, don't play favorites, right? So point number two is this, that God looks at the heart. So let's look at verses 5 through 7. So he says, listen, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You see, God's economy is very different than our own. And many times you will hear in sermons, on podcasts, reading books, you'll hear about this upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, right? So when Jesus comes, and like we talked about, James really parallels the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, first words out of Jesus' mouth, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you if you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. This is the opposite of what everybody thinks. That doesn't sound blessed, Right? that word makarios or blessedness or to be walking alongside and to be in closeness and oneness with the Lord right so that is the opposite of human nature right it's upside down Paul would say when I am weak it's then that I am strong right this is not the way our minds generally work if you're just saying how does this world work around me this isn't the way we would say it but Jesus came to change things he turned the world system on its ear right you know I've spent over 20 years in various Christian school environments, you know, teaching as a band director and teaching Bible and things like this. And over the years, I've seen this concept pop up in the summer training every once in a while at various places, and you'll see this. They will say, we need to educate of each of the pillars of society, right? We need a Christian at the top of the arts and entertainment world. We need a Christian at the top of the athletic world. We need a Christian at the top of the military world, right, and in, in the financial world. If we have Christians up there, imagine the difference we can make for the gospel. That is the opposite of what Scripture says. It's the opposite, right? Look here. It says, Has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom? but you've dishonored the poor man. And also, look here in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31, it says this. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human may boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. We are not saved for what we bring to the table. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He uses us, and what a blessing it is that he chooses to allow us to be part of what he is doing in this world, but it's in spite of ourselves. He knows our hearts, and so do we. It's Christ, right? So that text ends this way. So the one who boasts would boast in the Lord. So here is why. James condemns making distinctions among ourselves. We set up all kinds of criteria in order to identify and set apart the good and the bad, the weak and the strong, the successful and the failures. We, even, we can even set up the behavior of our children, right? That's another litmus test for biblical living. This is a good parent. This is a bad parent, right? We, we'll do all sorts of things because our hearts are a wreck. We're people, we love distinctions, and if you'll notice, we generally tend to gravitate towards the distinctions that put us on the positive side of things, right? This is an important thing in society. What a coincidence. I'm good at that, right? That's just the way we can be. We tend to look at the outward appearance. But look here, and you don't have to turn here, but God looks at the heart. In First Samuel 16 Samuel goes to Jesse to look at his sons so he can anoint the next king of Israel. In true human fashion, he sees the firstborn, Eliab, and he thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. Right. So in other words, he's saying this guy looks like a king. And not only him, if it's not him, there's a lot of other ones here too. You know, there's a lot of guys to choose from that have have a very kingly look. So judging someone based on the looks, it's not a new thing, you notice. They did the same thing with Saul, right? The first king of Israel, a man who stood, the Bible says, head and shoulders above everyone around him. Now that's a leader. Now that's the kind of guy we need. And even as they were waiting for the Messiah, the Jewish people were waiting for a warrior. They were waiting for one who would come and to conquer that lesson. It's never learned in our hearts. We have such an idea of what it takes to be a leader in this world, what it takes to be someone to represent the Lord in this world. But look at this picture of Jesus himself from Isaiah 53. It says, He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So you say, even having learned the lesson of Saul, even having learned the lesson of Sa- at Sam- at Samuel, learning the lesson at Jesse's house, looking at all these sons, that it turns out being David, right? We just have so much trouble getting it through our head that that's not what the Lord looks at, right? I am very thankful, that Sunrise Community Church doesn't look at the outward appearance when choosing their pastors, right? I mean, you know, I do the youth here. I do the worship here. Worship pastors and youth pastors are generally pretty cool. Like, if you look around town, right? And I'm just saying, I don't even own one check shirt. I don't play the guitar. And let's just say skinny jeans, like, are not an option for me, right? (laughs) Right? So praise the Lord. So jokes aside, however, there is this... um, There's this expected look in ministry, isn't there? So many of the largest ministries, when you turn on your TV and you go to those top channels on the non-cable channels, everyone preaching is just so, like they look like television stars and such expensive clothing, and we just don't get it, right? We just don't get it. So this is a wake-up call. So let's look at verses 6 and 7. It goes on. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? So this is indeed a wake-up call. And James says, your poor treatment of the poor man has ignored the fact he's made in the image of God. You dishonored someone who came into the building to worship the Lord Jesus Christ just because you didn't like his clothes. And it's not that the treatment of the successful guy is bad. It just should be normative. (laughs) It should be the way you treat everybody. Of course, anyone walks in this room and you meet them for the first time, we're so glad you're here. What can I do for you? Let's get you in a place where you can meet some people and you can make some friends, and we have home groups for everyone across the board, right? Look at verse 7 for a moment. It says, aren't the rich, aren't they the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? I believe that this is there building the argument for just how ridiculous this preferential treatment is. I think the point here is that every culture and generation has things that we strive towards and that we hold up as preferential above everything else, right? And in America, in the church, just think for a second. What are some of those things, right? We create standards, we hold them up and then we hold people, you know, to those standards. Like ladies in the church in America, you don't have to be Joanna Gaines. It's okay. Like the house, <laughs> the, the clothes, anything. You don't have to. These standards that we raise up to ourselves are just not that we don't have to be Chip Gaines, guys. We don't have to be handy to be a good Christian. It's okay. Right? Be truthful with yourselves now, guys. The opinions of certain people in this room probably matter more to you than the opinions of other people in this room. Just let that sit for a minute. If someone thought poorly of you, it would probably make a difference to you if that was someone you admire or someone you tend to avoid. And this is the point. We set up these hierarchies in every group of people and James says, stop that. There is one distinction that matters and that is the heart. The only distinction that should unite and divide is this. Does somebody love Jesus? Right? The gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a sweet-smelling savor to those who believe. There's a straight dividing line right there. Other than that, you are in Christ or you're out of Christ. And this is how the Lord sees us. The only distinction is are we in Christ or not? You see, friends, God looks at the heart and we should do our best to do the same. So really... He looks at the heart. Let's continue to look here. Verses 8 through 11 for our next point. It says this, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever keeps the law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but you do murder... You become a transgressor of the law. Look at verses 8 and 9. It says, We're to fulfill the royal law, which is what? To love your neighbor as yourself. Why do we call it the royal law? Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Jesus emphasizes this as a matter of the heart to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Jesus. King Jesus emphasized this. That's why we call it the royal law. So James says, listen, if you're following that, great. Because Jesus did boil it down, didn't he? He says, love God, love people. On this hang all the law and the prophets. He says, okay, so you are doing that, or so you think. But he says, but to show partiality, verse 9, he says, a sin. This is a matter of the heart. And so, you know, we talk about that this is uh, paralleling Matthew 5 through 7 the way Jesus takes murder and adultery in Matthew 5, I really believe that's what James is doing here as well. So, so go with me for a second. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, You have heard it said, Do not commit murder. Right? Right? He says, but I tell you, if you have hatred towards your brother, right? If you say, you're, you fool, right? If you have hatred towards your brother, it's like you've committed hatred in your heart already. He says, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But he says, I, I say to you that if you have lust in your heart towards somebody, it's you've already committed adultery in your heart. See, there's a place where you think, okay, here's the rule. I think I'm following it pretty well. And Jesus comes along and says, No, 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 no. Externals are great and necessary. However, I'm looking at your heart, right? So we go on to look here. So let's look at the progression here now. Verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. It says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well, okay. I don't murder. I don't commit adultery. I'm loving people just fine. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and convicted by the law as transgressors. If you are showing partiality amongst people, you cannot possibly be loving them at the same time. I think that's what James is getting at here. He says, hatred in your heart is murder. Lust in your heart is adultery. Partiality in your heart, it's not love for other people. To show unfair preference in the expense of another person is the opposite of love. It is to objectify and to dehumanize a person do we realize just how much grace we have been given in Christ? I think we can take it for granted. When we say we want to live in light of the gospel, we've got to start at the beginning, right? So we heard last week from Greg Strand, he said, justification unites. And I think that was a really, really helpful and deep statement that applies here as well justification unites. Why are we united by justification? Because we're all in the same boat, right? So all of us come to Jesus Christ with nothing in our hands, right? The word of God says we are born with a sinful nature. We are enemies of God. We're not just neutral. Remember, there is no such thing as neutrality in the kingdom of God. We're enemies of God. We are serving his, his archenemy. We're serving the devil living for the world, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, right? Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life that you and I could never live, died a death on the cross that you and I deserve to die, and three days later rose again, conquering sin and death and the grave. If we confess our sin, if we repent, if we follow Jesus Christ, he'll take a dead heart and make it alive. And everyone here who would affirm faith in Jesus Christ has lived that. That's what unites us greater than anything else. Do you know, church family, you have more in common with a believer in Jesus Christ living in a small village halfway around the world than you have with someone next door who doesn't love Jesus. Even with a family member who doesn't love Jesus, you may have a lot of things that you did together, that you shared together, places you went together. You're going to spend eternity with these people who love Jesus Christ. And they share the same story. The facts, the details, maybe they're you know, they different with each one of us, but each one of us was dead in our sins and trespasses. And Jesus Christ came along and he rescued us from ourselves, from our own sin, from the wrath of God, having satisfied it with his own perfect life and death on the cross. And when he woke you up, And he told you it was all true and you became a believer in Christ. You joined a family, not just of the people who love him on this earth right now, but for all of time, the people who put their trust in Jesus Christ and trusted in the Savior. That's what we have in common. And so the superficial things that we would look around and see personality-wise and clothing-wise and socioeconomic differences or whatever it is, or languages or culture or whatever, they're nothing compared to the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's look at the takeaway. So it says in verses 12 and 13, So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So a couple of things to take away uh, from these final verses in light of what we've learned today. So live as people who are forgiven. Live as people who have passed from death to life. Live as people who had hearts that were stone and now those hearts are flesh. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And everything you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. We want to honor Jesus in every relationship that you have. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. And if you are dealing with some rooted, deep-rooted partiality, prejudice, respect of persons that you just can't let go, you need to run to Jesus with that. You need to repent, right? We live in the South. There are people who just say, you know, I was just raised that way. Well, that part of your upbringing was wrong and it was sinful and you need to repent. That's what the cross is for. Jesus saves you, then he changes you. And that's one of the areas you're going to need to change, right? Jesus Christ is the standard. And just remember, if you're in Christ this morning, you're accepted and you are loved. And if you want to know Jesus Christ, I'll be up here at the end of the service today. We'll have people who would love to talk to you about what it means to be in Christ and to live a life of worship towards Him. Let's pray. And Lord God, you are good. And we thank you that you